Hello, hello, lovely listeners. Emily here. Just wanted to give y'all a heads up today that my audio might not sound the best because as most of you know, I have two small children and two small children tend to break things when you're not looking and they happen to get their little hands on my microphone and we didn't realize that I sounded like I was underwater until we recorded two episodes because we batch record. So I know this one and probably the next one are not going to sound as good as they have been, but just know we have gotten new equipment. It is taken care of. Bear with us. It's going to be good content. It might not sound as good as we want it to though. So sorry about that. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Ill-Equipped History, where two unqualified and passionate best friends talk about history. How you doing, Morgan? I'm hanging in there. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to go ahead and apologize to our listeners. Um, A mysterious illness has befallen me, and I feel like I sound like garbage, and I'm sorry. I've been coughing for about two weeks straight. I can't figure out what's wrong, so I'm going to do my best to hang in there today. I've got my cough drops, I've got my tea, I've got my cough (laughs) syrup, I'm on that scissor. (laughs) I believe in you and all of your medication. Thank you. I'm I'm really rallying, I'm really putting my trust in all this medicine, (laughs) so I don't just cough like an old man into your ears. We can edit it out, right? <laughs> Nobody well, wants that old man cough in their ears. <laughs> I might need that old man uh, cough in some of the skit we're going to do later. So it, okay. might, it might work out. Okay, um, just let news, me know. Good news, listeners, though. I am, <laughs> once again, walking, unassisted. Hooray! I had, I had a scooter for a couple weeks with my poor ankle. If you listen to the the beer episode, I I fucked it up real bad, guys. And <laughs> I'm just now walking. I still have a brace, but um, it might have taken me 30 minutes to walk to the boat the other day. But by golly, I did it. So, you know. Could you not just get a ride on the four wheeler? No, we were at a different. We went to Wake Fest at Center Hill Lake. Oh, in, okay. Um, Cookville. And I had to walk from, like, the parking lot across, like, down the parking lot and then across the, like, floating bridge to get to the marina. And then it was on the other side. And then I had to, like, stop at the bathrooms and change. And it was exhausting. It sounds like an ordeal. People were passing me. Old people were passing me. (laughs) (laughs) And then she called me slow. So there was that. Oh, no. Thanks, (laughs) ma'am. Also, it's thundering now here where I'm at, so that'll be. Also, apologize if you can hear thunder in the background, listeners. <laughs> I can't think of that song without thinking of my dog who was scared of thunderstorms, and every time we would turn on that Garth Brooks song, she would hide under the table. Oh, poor River. 
I know. Poor baby. Okay, so I guess without any further ado, we'll quit chatting about our broken bodies and (laughs) (laughs) and get on with the skit. All right. It's August 1920 in Tennessee. A special session has been called to vote on the 19th Amendment. The first two rounds of votes were to table the amendment, both coming up evenly divided and leaving the bill alive on the floor. Speaker Seth Walker proclaimed that instead of voting to table it, they would just vote to approve or deny it and rid themselves of this bill once and for all. Each elected member says their votes aloud when it's their turn. Nay. I. Nay. I. Nay. Nay. I. Nay. Nay. The vote is evenly split again, and the vote comes down to Harry T. Byrne. The room falls deathly silent, waiting for Harry's answer. Harry puts his hand on the breast pocket of his jacket that holds a letter from his mother, stating her opinion on the matter. And with a deep breath, he says, Aye. The room bursts into a mix of screams, hollers, and chaos, some happy and some angry. Harry has to escape out the window of the clerk's office to get away from the barrage of people. Attaboy! Cheater. You better not show your face around here again! You've done it! Your honor would be proud! This is the death of our country! Thank you, Harry. You've damned us all! While this scene was depicted in a bit more of a dramatic fashion, most of what was in this scene is true. And we can thank the 19th Amendment passing on one man and a letter from his mama. So, I know it's a a dumb question, but have you heard of Mr. Harry T. Byrne? So, I do know this story, but I did not know his name. Ah, I want you to scroll down. I'm skipping ahead a bit. I want you to scroll down until you see a picture of him and his mama. And we'll get more into him later. First, we're going to go full into women's suffrage. And when I say full into, we're hitting cliff notes. Because, my lord, it was a complicated 72 years. So we're going to hit the high points because we can't really tell the story of Harry and how it ended up in his lap to begin with without really talking about what happened before. Because it's easy to make an assumption, like like with the Battle of Athens episode, um, that, oh, well, women just asked for the right to vote. If you don't really know the history about it, It's easy to think, oh, women just asked, and it took a while, but then, oh, yeah, they voted, and it was, you know, he just happened to be, like, the last person who voted, or whatever. And it's so much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so do you see Mr. Harry T. Byrne? I do. He's uh, not so bad on the eyes. He has no right to be that handsome. I'm going to (laughs) be honest. I've been thinking that this whole time. He has no right. He's very symmetrical. He was 22 in that picture. All right. Yeah, he's he's a handsome fella. No right to be that handsome. I just wanted you to see that before <laughs> we got started. All right. 
yeah. I have an, a vision in my head. A nice mental image. But put Harry T. Burns. Burns. I keep saying Burns. It's Burn. No S. Put Harry Burn in your back pocket for now. We're going to 1848. All right. Ooh, ooh. That was the sound of my time machine. I was literally about to say we got some time machine sound effects going on. <laughs> <laughs> so, the fight for women's suffrage begins. And for those of you who don't know what suffrage means, there could be somebody out there who doesn't know what it means. It means the right to vote in political elections. Now, before 1920, women did not have the right to vote in the United States and in most of anywhere else, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Most of the world, women could not vote. And we're going to focus mostly, like 90%, on the United States. In the Constitution, the right to vote was left to the states to decide because the Founding Fathers didn't want to make that decision on the behalf of all the states which is fair, and the Constitution is, is broad yet specific for a good reason. Mm-hmm. And so when they wrote it up, they were like, I think they were split as well. So they were like, fine, we'll just let each state decide. Well, none of the states really decided to let um, women vote from the beginning. Well, that's actually not true. Some did, but we'll get to that. Most okay. of them. So typically in the 1800s, married women were considered too emotional and not intelligent enough and only suited for the domestic setting. They couldn't sign a contract. They would lose custody of their children in a divorce. Their wages went directly to their husbands. They couldn't go to college. Of course, couldn't open a bank account. Uh, Their properties that they inherited were absorbed by their husbands. I mean, they couldn't even buy properties. And literally, literally everything was absorbed by their husbands. So in July... That's awful. I know. I know. I was like raging. I watched a documentary, a really well done documentary. I think it was PBS that does it. It was called The Boat. Mm -hmm. I highly suggest you go watch it. It's like a two-part thing. I took a good amount, you know, probably a good half of the information from there, but I had to really strip it down. So definitely go check that out. The vote. So in July of 1848, Elizabeth Stanton and Lucretia Mott organized the first women's rights meeting in Seneca Falls, New York. Now, this was attended by about 300 people. And this meeting produced a list of demands called the Declaration of Sentiments. And this list included more educational and professional opportunities for women and for women to control their wages and property independently. And after this meeting, most agreed that women's voting rights needed to become the main issue when discussing these commands, demands. Because how would you even get this done without women voting? Right. Just trust the men have our best interest at heart. (laughs) We we made a face. (laughs) Yeah. If only we were on video. So anyway, Frederick Douglass was one of the people in that attendance. 
Awesome. Um, but surprisingly, not everybody, most, mostly everyone agreed, but not everybody agreed that women needed the right to vote at this point. But most of them, like I said, were abolitionists who thought that all adults of voting age should have the right to vote. Yeah. And this meeting is so important because this is when the fight for women's suffrage truly began in 1848. I think there was an episode of Drunk History I watched about this. Because when you said Elizabeth Stanton, I was like, I've heard that name before. I love when I come across something and I'm like, I already know that. Yeah. It makes me feel so smart. <laughs> smart. I'm, listen, I'm real fun at parties now after that beer episode. Every time I, I pick up an, IP, I'm, an IPA, I'm like, did you know that it's not made in India? <laughs> Every time. <laughs> so dumb. Okay. So I'm I'm back at it with the with the titles in my headline. So the Civil War. Yes. So okay. the Civil War was from April twelfth, eighteen sixty one and ended April ninth, eighteen sixty five. Things really changed for the suffragists at this point because they'd been already fighting and campaigning for you know what is that 13 years at this point which is hard to believe <laughs> yeah that's think about it in the civil when the civil war started women had been already fighting for 13 years when the civil war started started oh man if i did my math right sure um <laughs> <laughs> the suffragists really backed the African Americans, the freed slaves, while they were fighting, because in their mind, which is not a far off thought, that if, you know, the African Americans got the right to vote, then we would be lumped in as well for our mm -hmm. support of them, where, you know, we're just as important as anybody. So if they get the right to vote. We surely will, too. And they were told that. They were like, if you just, you know, help us with the war, we'll give you the, you know, give you the right to vote later. And that's not what happened at all. Mm -hmm. So they helped. They supported the freed slaves through the war. And the war ended in 1865. Everyone was like, woo! And then the 15th Amendment comes around, which is wonderful, but it put a split in the suffragists party, the women's suffragists party, because half of them were like, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that the African-Americans got the right to vote. We're next. This mm. is a stepping stone. And the other ones didn't want to support the 15th Amendment. Because they were like, well, if we're not included, I don't want to support it. But mm -hmm. it ended up splitting the Women's Suffrage Party into two. So the National Women's Suffrage Association, NWSA, was formed by Elizabeth Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. We all know Susan B. Anthony. Yes, we do. May of 1869. They were the group that opposed the 15th Amendment because it didn't include them. 
1871, they sent a petition to the Senate and the House of Representatives requesting that suffrage rights be extended to women and that women be granted the privilege of being heard on the floor of Congress. Great. Yeah. The other side, the American Women Suffrage Association, the AWSA, founded by Lucy Stone, Julia Howe, and Thomas Wentworth Higginson, supported the 15th Amendment and protested the confrontational tactics of the NWSA. How funny is it that just the NWSA requesting that they get suffrage rights was considered confrontational. confrontational. At if, that time. Listen, if that doesn't say everything about the female experience, I don't know what does. Just to be honest, asking for rights. <laughs> no bitch. <Can> I- <laughs> Hell no. So. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So they concentrated uh, state to state. So you'll see this pattern throughout the history where one group is going straight for the Senate and the House of Representatives for the big picture. And we've got the other group going state by state wanting to get them overturned a little at a time. More of a grassroots movement. Right, right. The NWSA was really concentrated at the local levels, at grassroots. They mean small victories would build support on the national level. In 1871, they petitioned asking that women in D.C. and the territories in the West be allowed to vote and hold office. And now, you said this is the NWSA, right? NWSA. The... Okay. Uh, yeah. No. AWSA. Okay. Oh, okay. So now they're petitioning to D.C. Well, they're petitioning to just the women in D.C. So they were going just to the individual people living in the area. Oh. Okay. Whereas the NWSA was going for the to Senate, the, the House of Rin... House of Rins. That's what I just <laughs> represented <laughs> House of Rent. (coughs) Anywho, so things start to get a little complicated and sad at this point because racism starts playing a part in it. And Mm. unfortunately, during this time, racism played a part in everything and it hurts me to my soul. Um, But Susan B. Anthony's group started to ask for the black people not to come and support because of the political climate in the United States at the time. Even Frederick Douglass was asked not to come to the meetings because they thought if they saw black people in the group that the mass majority wouldn't vote for the women's suffrage rights. It would delegitimize their movement. Exactly. And I hate that that was even a thing, but I have to say it. Right. History isn't always fine. Ha ha funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And she truly believed that when women got the right to vote, they would make it all right for everyone. Right. But all it really did was just kind of solidify the divide. Right. So that sucks. And in 
1872, Susan B. Anthony famously registered to vote in New York and was arrested and fined $100 for, quote, knowingly, wrongfully, and unlawfully voting for a representative to the Congress of the United States. Wow. She was fined $100. That is $2,500 in today's oh, money. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But remember how I said that the, the AWSA was petitioning and asking the women in D.C. and the territories to allow women to vote? Mm-hmm. Well, the territories out in the West were like, yeah, that's a good idea. We have no one living here. Every vote freaking counts. Right. So, there were territories of the United States that gave women the right to vote before they even became states. So That's amazing. 1869 was Wyoming as the okay. first. 1870, Utah. 1883, Washington. 1887, Montana. And later... 18 or sorry 1913 Alaska now some of those I think it's at least I think it's just Washington state um they uh I think they had it and then they lost it when they became a state and then they Mm. gained it back okay if my notes are correct um which I believe they are so in 1890, Susan B. Anthony has been working for 30 some odd years at this point, and Mm -hmm. everyone else. In 1890, both parties merged. They decided we're not getting anywhere. It's been 30 years. We're not getting anywhere. So let's join forces again. Right. They formed the National American Women's Suffrage Association, the NAWSA. So they just each took the first word from both of their associations and were like, all right, combine. I've been reading it as NASA. 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 <laughs> it's a lot shorter than saying N-A-W-S-A. <laughs> um, so this became the largest women's suffrage organization and led most of the struggles until the 19th Amendment was ratified. Okay. At this point, in 1890, Stanton was the president, Anthony was the vice president, and Stone was the chairman of the executive committee. Okay. And between the years of 1896 and 1909, 160 pieces of legislature were submitted from this group, and they were all defeated. Dang. But not all is lost yet, because... More Western states started allowing women to vote. 1890, Wyoming. In 1893, Colorado. And in 1896, Utah and Idaho. So those Western states, I see, I didn't know any of this. Mm -hmm. I just thought no one had the right to vote. Well, no woman had the right to vote. And then, boom, the 19th Amendment. And all of a sudden we do. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like that at all. So... We're getting into the early 1900s. All right. It's a new time. It's a new century. And we're talking about new women. They're not wearing so many clothing. 
They're free. No <laughs> They're not horses. Wearing, they're not wearing so many clothing. <laughs> Literally, like the documentary said. made a big deal about the fact that they could move because they weren't wearing corsets anymore. And <laughs> That's so funny. I just love the way you said that. So many clothing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Words are hard. <laughs> they are hard. But so, I mean, yeah, like. Yeah. That's when, you know, women were like, oh, I can wear, like, short dresses and all that good stuff. I can show my ankles. Oh. Oh. Oh, man. Maybe even my elbows. (gasps) Scandalous. Y'all, that was an inside joke from, like, high school for us. Oh, gosh. Sorry for us laughing. 10th, 11th grade. Scandalous. Mr. Trent's class. Oh, so that was senior year. Senior, senior year. yeah okay anyway 1900s a fifth of the workforce was women mm-hmm. and thousands more were off to college now they weren't restricted by those damn courses <laughs> i can breathe and i can learn yeah <laughs> i'm getting <laughs> enough oxygen to my brain now <laughs> um so harriet blatch who is elizabeth stanton's daughter Okay. Entered a poll place in 1909 legally in New York. Now, she entered it legally because she figured out it wasn't illegal for women to just be there. It was Ah. just illegal for her to vote. So she started occupying the poll place, making it a normal, trying to make it a normal thing for women to be seen in a place of voting, in a polling area. And other women were following suit in other areas of New York. And she actually was able to get a drunk asshole kicked out of a polling place. So well, good there on you her. Go. Yeah. yeah. And back then the voting happened in like bars and men would just get drunk and basically have a party. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like like women like Historically, have been seen as like fragile emotional creatures who can't make yeah. rational decisions because of their emotions. But men getting drunk in bars—that is the epitome of rational logic, if I do yeah. say so myself. Yeah, I mean, I want to get hammered and then make a big government decision about who is going to represent me and make decisions in my best interest. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So <laughs> this next line cracks me up because when I wrote it, I was like, why the fuck am I having to write this down? But I wrote women began meeting in clubs, like organized meeting. And yeah. but they began having ideas and opinions. <laughs> Not that they didn't have them before, but they finally started to voice them. But the way I wrote it, I was like, why, <laughs> why did I write it like that? <laughs> we started having opinions. <laughs> but- Before 1909, not a single woman has had an opinion. (laughs) This is what happens when I take notes while watching a documentary and my fat (laughs) fingers can't keep up. (laughs) Girl, you just gotta pause it. That's what I do. Listen, it was hard enough for my yelling at me. That's true. I'll I'll let it slide this time. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And this is when women began to protest in the streets. So they're not politely asking anymore. 
Yeah, because like, that didn't work. Fuck you, let us vote. Yeah. It's already been like 60 years at this point. We're members of society and we want representation. This is taxation without representation. And one of the um, little cartoon drawings that here, let's go ahead and look at it. Some of these are really cool. Some of them are just disgusting. But the one I was thinking of, it said votes for women. It looks like a little pirate girl. And it said the spirit of, and then 1776 is crossed out and says today, no taxation without representation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like think of, and there was another one. And it said, the village soak a voter, the widow farmer, not yet. And I think that is a kind of what I was thinking is that like, if your husband died and you were left with the family farm, you could not vote on what you thought would be best for your farm or your family. You were just left to the whim of other people. But a guy who literally, like, I assume a village soak is a drunkard. He looks like a drunk. Because um, he does. Like, he's reclining. He's got a bottle of alcohol. He looks half dead from being drunk. He can vote, but a, a widower who doesn't have claim to her property still has to pay taxes. It's bullshit. And she has no say in it. She has no say. And she's probably trying to keep kids fed and not lose the farm. And she has no say. No right. Yeah. She can't work. Yeah. So Blatch really believed that wage-earning women were going to be the key to earning the ballot. And also, at this time, we were having, like I said, thousands more women going to college. They would come back from college, have a hard time finding work, and if they weren't married, they were having a really hard time finding a place in society that would accept them. Right. Like, I just got my fucking doctorate. I could do brain surgery on you right now. And I can't even vote. Like women at this time were stuck at home until they were married. Because, like, yeah. like you said, they couldn't work. They couldn't yeah. find a job to support themselves. No. So they had to stay at home with their parents until they were able to get married and like live off that their husband. And even if they did find a job, the pay wasn't near the same. No, it wasn't even near the same. Still isn't. <clears throat> yeah, it's not. <laughs> Um, so some women opposed women's suffrage and it's actually more people than you think opposed women's suffrage. Now I could see the majority of men opposing it, but it was actually like a 50, 50 split because some women were like, shit, you're going to mess everything up if women get the right to vote. Or I don't think we need it. We're doing just fine. Or, you know, those kinds of arguments. And some people even thought that if women got the right to vote, that the alcohol industry would flounder because Susan B. Anthony was a leader in the temperance movement. Oh. So they were like, look, no, no, don't vote. Don't vote to let the women vote because if they get to vote, they're going to shut down all the bars. Right. Listen, you're the reason the women need a drink. So... In 1910, 10,000 people showed up in California to campaign for suffrage under the NASA, the NAWSA, and they started using new tactics, new strategies, and women at this point really started just flocking to the cause. They were like, we've had enough, and Mm -hmm. 
women started dressing in all white and they would wear a sash and started marching in parades. I told Nick I'd totally be in that parade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so finally, the suffragettes won in Washington State in 1910. So this is where I guess they lost it and then I got it back. And it was the first win they had in 14 years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Do you imagine just fighting for 14 years? For a cause and nothing, just getting rejected every turn. Well, what you were saying earlier, I mean, this, like, it's just, it's kind of related, but to jump in the future, but I think it was the 60s or 70s, there was the the Equal Rights Act that mm-hmm. was proposed to make sure that women and men were equal in society, and that vote failed. Like, it still has not been ratified because literally there cannot be a majority vote on the Equal Rights Act. And a lot of the voters were women. One of the biggest campaigners against the Equal Rights Act was a woman. That doesn't even make any sense in my head. But everybody's got their um, opinion. It's just, it's it's really surprising to see, like, not even just women, but people. And you see it today, and I won't specify certain specific things, but, like, you see it. Like, people are voting against their own interests for one reason or another. Yeah. Girl, if you don't want to vote, don't go vote. Yeah. But let other people vote. Let yeah. them do it. If you don't want to, don't. You don't have to. No one's forcing your hand. Anyway, we got on tangents. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Anywho, so during the early 1900s, and I definitely did not look up when the UK got women's suffrage rights, but the same issues were going on in the UK, except they were starting to get more violent mm-hmm. very quickly. Weren't they doing, uh, um, was it the, I think it was, maybe this was another episode of Drunk History, but I feel like UK suffragettes were using like jujitsu and like martial arts, like attack, like probably. police. They started straight up just causing mass destruction. And it doesn't surprise me one bit. But I'm for it. Listen, they needed to do it. (laughs) I mean, you asked nicely for equal rights. You asked nicely. It doesn't work. It's like what we talked about in the Battle of Athens. You know, people try to take peaceful measures. And when it doesn't work, then you escalate. Yeah. You don't want to. You never start out being mean. Yeah. You never start with violence. No, but sometimes you have to to get it done. So I'm going to get a little bit into the UK just because a big key player on our front was there. So Mm -hmm. Alice Paul, she was born in 1885. So she was in her mid-20s when she traveled to the UK for school in 1907. And she joined the women's suffrage movement over there with the Pankhursts who were the leaders of the movement there. And she got, let's just say, she got really involved over there. In London, the suffra- the suffragettes, they started referring to them as suffragettes. And I'm here for it. It was supposed to be like slander, but then they were like, mm, I kind of like that. I'm going to keep it. They're taking, they're taking ownership of it. Yes. So we're suffragettes. So in London, the suffragettes marched to Parliament and the police physically tried to hold them back with violence. Mm-hmm. But then they realized that there were too many, so they just started arresting them. Arrested 111 people for just walking and having an Mm -hmm. opinion. And Mm -hmm. Alice Paul was among 
one of those who was arrested. And the women who went to jail should have been considered political prisoners. And political prisoners would get much better treatment. They could have like furniture and could get mail and stuff. Way better treatment than just like a murderer. But they were being treated like they were a murderer. So the women went on hunger strikes. And unfortunately, they weren't released. They weren't given status of political prisoner. They were force fed Mm. instead. And it painful. They would just shove a tube down your throat and pour a mixture of, I think it was eggs and milk, just directly into your stomach. And they wouldn't sedate you. They just held you down. Oh, my gosh. I know. Disgusting. And it's being forced upon you. And it was like twice a day. Oh, man. Yeah. So the U.S. heard about what was happening to her, to one of their own people. Mm-hmm. And you know what they said? Oh, well, good thing that's not happening over here. Oh, man. Yeah. They were like, oh, our women are so much nicer than that. That's never going to happen here. Pretty much that's what the documentary said. Cliff Note version. Oh, my gosh. But by the time she came back to the United States, she was a minor celebrity. And, like, reporters met her at the dock and were like, oh, yeah. are you going to do the same things here? And she was like... <laughs> Bitch, not if I don't have to. (laughs) No, I don't want to do that again, but if you make me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was just like, well, give us the rights and then I won't have to do that. Because they were really afraid that she was going to take the vandalism, the destruction tactics of the UK and bring them to the United States. And she was just like, don't give me a reason. Bet. In We've got another state, California, that gave women the right. And then 1912, we've got Arizona, Kansas, and Oregon. All right. This is way more states than I thought originally. Yeah. So, still in the early 1900s, Alice Paul decides she fucking hates the president. (laughs) She hates him. Because Woodrow Wilson was not a supporter. At least in the beginning, he was not a supporter. And Alice Paul really thought it would be easier to get a national legislature through than going state by state like Mm -hmm. the NAWSA had been. So she suggested they have a big parade and she suggested it to the leader of the NAWSA at the time. And they were like, that's a great idea. And you should be chairman of the group. So she became chairman of the group and she's organizing this parade. And she picked, I know, she picked (laughs) March the 3rd of 1913 and they were to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Treasury Building. Do you know what March 3rd, 1913 was? Was it the start of World War One? The day before the presidential inauguration. Oh. She was making a statement. Yeah. An absolute statement. And to cause even more of a buzz around her cause, her and a big group of people... We're going to hike from New York to Washington, D.C. for the parade. It's 260 miles. Yeah. It's like 84 hours of walking, according to Google Maps. Oh, man. And that's like today, because I just Googled it. But it's in March, in the north. So they're hiking through, like, winter. Yeah. And And probably ice and snow and... Yeah. And it took them a couple weeks. 
And they started out with like 200 people. And by the time they got to the end, there were like 16 of them left. A lot of them dipped out. But every town they went through, you know, the streets were lined. Some people were, you know, yelling obscenities. And then some people were cheering them on. It was, you know, a good 50-50 mix. But Mm -hmm. they were getting their name and their cause out. Yeah. And over the next couple weeks, they hiked. They made it to Washington, D.C. And they had expected about 2,500 marchers to show up. By the time they got there, there were twice as many. Oh. I know. Like 5,000 women. Wow. And I'm sure some men as well. Here to to march in this parade for women's rights. Ida B. Wells was there as well. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, because Ida was a black woman, she was asked to march in the back of the parade with the other black women. I know. I'm so angry about it. But she was like a total boss ass bitch and was like, if I can't march with my state, you can go fuck yourself. And like, Mm -hmm. she dipped. But only temporarily, and I'll explain why in a second. So she was like, okay. if I can't march with my state, I will not march. So she kind right. of went off into the crowd. <laughs> One of the funniest parts of this documentary was like, apparently Woodrow Wilson walked into this big building and was expecting there to be like a ton of people cheering and woo! And it was almost deserted. And he was like, where? Basically, like, where the fuck is everyone? And they were like... <laughs> They're watching the suffragettes outside. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> this is my time to shine. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So the march started and it was a long, long parade. And they were grouped into like professions. So they had like a group of teachers, a group of doctors, a group of, you know, all these professions. And it was going really, really well until drunk asshole men started breaking through the lines on the sides, the ropes on the sides, and basically either antagonizing or just straight up beating up the women. A hundred women had to go to the hospital. Oh my God. And it turned out to like, they finished the the parade, but they ended up having to do it single file and the fucking cavalry had to come. To get the men off of them. Oh my god. But they took it in stride. Because they were like. Oh look. The next day. The presidential inauguration went through perfectly fine. Everyone was well behaved. But no you get a bunch of women out here with opinions. And they all act like animals. This is why we need the vote. Right. This is exactly why we need it. Because we are treated like second class citizens. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of helped them out. But in the middle of all that hoopla, Ida just like dipped into the parade and finished marching with her state. Like, ha ha, I'm going to do what I want. And (laughs) I love her for that. The women would unfortunately continue their fight for many years to come. Mm -hmm. But in 1914, Montana and Nevada were given suffrage. It's so crazy that like, I think it's like almost every Western state now. Oh, yeah. Go back to the pictures. I'm going to show you. It's the woman. It's the it's the country. Yeah. United States. All of this is like a big advertise, like a, a campaign where they were really calling to their Western sisters 
mm-hmm. to free them from the oppression. And I just feel like this is a really moving piece of art. Yeah, it's very powerful. Yeah. And they were trying very hard in, and you'll see this in Woodrow Wilson's second um, race, to to really turn the women of the West against Woodrow Wilson. So he would lose presidency. Wait, he wanted to intentionally lose the presidency? No. Alice wanted to make... Oh, okay. Sorry, I missed that I I probably said it wrong. Okay. (laughs) So, World War I comes around July 28th of 1914. But remember, the Americans did not enter the war until very, very late in this war. We just kind of let everyone duke it out over there and i will not say opinions about that because i have no i i I just can't so on april 4th of 1917 is when the senate voted that yes we are going to war Mm -hmm. and this was a very important a big historical moment for the united states because it was the first time a woman had held office in the united states and her name was Jeanette Rankin from Montana. And it was the first time a woman had ever voted. She did vote to not go to war. And she voted to bring up suffrage again. So that's how she mm-hmm. voted. Woodrow Wilson ran on the campaign of, I've kept you out of the war for this long. So it wasn't really a big surprise in 1916 that he won the election because people mm-hmm. didn't want to go to war. Right. They saw what it was doing over there and they didn't want to go to war. So in 1917, when he was like, oh shit, we're going to, I can't keep us out of this war anymore. And he mm-hmm. was like, well shit, I'm not going to have a lot of support now that I have to take us into the war. So we really had to start rethinking everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so the men went off to war and the women just slipped into the jobs that the men had done. Right. So, Alice Paul and the NAWSA had two different ideals on how they wanted to go about this war business. Alice Paul had broken away from the NAWSA after that march and formed a party of her own, the National Women's Party, and it employed more militant tactics. And Hall had decided to focus on getting an amendment passed, go straight, straight to the head of the problem. And her, her focus, like I said earlier, was getting the 11 states that allowed women to vote to get it through. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously she'd have to work on some other states because you need 36. But she was like, that 11 is a really good foundation. Yeah, because isn't it two thirds to ratify two thirds majority to ratify an amendment? Is that yes? Okay, it's three quarters of the of the states have to ratify. So I think that's why okay. I needed thirty six states. Okay, gotcha. Three quarters of the states. Okay, if that's wrong, we'll correct it later. Uh, sure. <laughs> so during that nineteen sixteen election, that's when Paul was threatening to to swing the eleven states in opposition of Woodrow Wilson. Okay. And in January 10th, 1917, Paul Batch and her group started picketing every day, day in and day out, outside the White House. They stood vigil six days a week. 
And that would last for three years. Oh, my God. They stood outside the White House. Now, January 10th. I just got, like, goosebumps. I know. January 10th, 1917, was just months before World War I broke out. Mm -hmm. And when World War I broke out, they were like, well, shit, do we keep doing this? It feels a little inappropriate. There's a war going on. But the more she sat on it, she was like, I don't think we should stop. Because Anthony stopped. And look where it got her. Nothing. Mm -hmm. If we stop now, we're never going to get it. Mm -hmm. So they continued to pick it. Now, I said the NAWSA had a completely different tactic. And we'll see how those two actually worked really well together. But Harry Chapman Cat, remember the name Cat. It will, it's very important as well. She became the leader of the NAWSA in 1915. And so she had been in that position for a couple of years. She had actually been in that position before a couple of leaders ago. I did not have time to get into every one of that group's leaders. So. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're on Kat. She is the last leader of the NAWSA. So, as the leader of the NAWSA, she was invited to a dinner as a plus one at the White House, where the president, obviously, was going to be dining. Well, she kind of, you know, weaseled her way over there and started talking to the president. She was saying, I'm not with Alice Paul. I do not like those tactics. And Mm -hmm. the documentary literally said, we don't know what all was said in that meeting. All we know Mm -hmm. is that when they came out, they were tight. They, Carrie Chapman Cat had said, we're at war. Whatever you need from the NAWSA, we got you to support this war, to support our men and our country. And her mentality was, we're going to really, we're going to show them that we have the brains and the gumption and we are worth giving the vote to we're mm-hmm. going to prove you wrong we're going to work our butts off and they started programs for like trainings and helping people in the community and patriotism and they even sent a group of their own women because some of them were doctors overseas to help in hospitals and stuff like that and even helped build one of the hospitals with the money that they were getting so wow uh miss cat worked her ass off to make sure that the work that the women were doing was being noticed and this Mm -hmm. is going on at the same time that alice paul is out there angrily yelling at the president every day (laughs) they weren't actually angrily yelling they literally they wouldn't say a word They let their signs do the talking and they just stood there. Mm -hmm. So they're making their presence known. They're making their presence known. But the president was getting really pissed off and they started getting arrested very quickly for being there. And they were starting to get sentences that did not match the crime. They were getting like six to eight months in prison. For, like, first-time offenders. Wow. Yes. For something that's a constitutional right. I mean, isn't it... And it's in the Bill of Rights in the First Mm -hmm. Amendment. Like, 
I think yeah. it's the First Amendment, like freedom of speech and right to assembly. Exactly. They were they were assembling on the sidewalk. They weren't like on the grounds or anything. They weren't mm-hmm. blocking the gates or anything like that. They were just standing there with their signs. Mm-hmm. But Miss Cat, Carrie Chapman Cat, really didn't like that they were doing that because it's a war. Right. And she made it public that she did not, the NAWSA and her did not support Paul's picketing. Okay. Which made Woodrow Wilson like Miss Cat even more. Okay. And the people, the general populace started to get mad at Woodrow Wilson because the jail time just did not match the crime in the least bit. And yeah. Woodrow Wilson was getting letters from his supporters saying like, Hey, we don't support the picketers, but we really don't like what you're doing to them yeah. because they started doing hunger strikes in the prisons as well. Of course, started by Alice Paulus, where she's like an instigator for good. She's like <laughs> chaotic good or whatever. But yes, she started the hunger strikes again, and they were starting to be force fed again. Oh, man. In 1917, Kat led another parade. And during this parade, they held banners up with over a million signatures from women supporting the suffrage movement. Oh, and I just got was, goosebumps. Again. I know. Oh, and it was 10 days before New York was scheduled to vote on that, that year. Wow. And that year in 1917, women won the right to vote in New York. And that was a big win. There's a lot of people up there. Mm-hmm. And during this time, Paul was in jail. Probably didn't even know they had won it in New York because she was wow. in jail. And, um... It was so bad. The treatment, I'm going back to, Paul, we're jumping around a little bit. The treatment was so bad in jail that one of Wilson's men resigned immediately and then supported the picketers in the court of law. Wow. Yeah. And eventually the lawyers were able to get the suffragettes out of jail early. Some of them could barely walk. They were so malnourished. Oh my gosh. But... It made a statement that the women were going to do everything they could to get their rights. And Carrie Chapman Catt really claimed the credit for showing that that women could be trusted to do the hard things. And Paul claimed credit for really exposing Wilson as being kind of a hypocrite because he won his campaign on this is a democracy and we're going to fight for our democracy. And they showed that it's not a democracy if half of your occupants don't have a voice. Yeah. And so, like I said, in 1917, New York, and then in 1918, Michigan, Oklahoma, and South Dakota were joined in. All right. I know. So now we're gaining traction. Yes. So, this is when things start to get real fun. So in 19, the 19th Amendment passed in the House of Representatives in 1918 by only one vote. And the next step was for it to pass in the Senate. And originally it was uh, scheduled for March, but it kept freaking getting pushed back. Keep getting put on the back burner. And the Senate tried to rewrite the amendment to not allow 
black women specifically the right to vote. I know it's so gross, isn't it? And that stirred up so much shit, which it should have. Yeah. But, and they really fought on that for like a long time. Well, like, I mean, it, it doesn't was, even it, was months. it doesn't even make sense because black men have the right to vote, but and white women have the right to vote. Think about the Jim Crow era and all the Southern states that mm-hmm. were finding these quote unquote loopholes to yeah. not allow the black men to vote, and it was all just bullshit anyway. Mm-hmm. But they were afraid, like, well, we can't just, like, beat up and kick out a woman out of the polls. So we can literally, this is, I'm quoting, like, you know, loosely quoting the documentary. Y'all need to watch it. Because there was so much bullshit that went on. But it was the southern states, unfortunately, that were really, had that mindset. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, well, we'll give rich white women the right to vote. But we're not going to give literally anyone else the right to vote. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. It It doesn't surprise me at all, but... And I hate that it doesn't surprise me. Okay, anyway. So, the Democrats lost the majority in the Senate. And it was when the Republicans won the Senate that it kind of broke that stalemate. And the original amendment was approved by the Senate with only two votes to spare on June the 4th of 1919. Wow. Yes. The next step is to get 36 out of 48. So that's the two-thirds where we're thinking of. 36 out of 48. There were only 48 at the time. States Mm -hmm. to then ratify the amendment. So if you don't know what ratify means, they just have to agree to enact it. Basically, Mm -hmm. they're just saying yes or no. Lots of fancy words for simple things. Uh, I'm very proud of myself that I was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I See, I always knew like two-thirds or something like that, but I was like, I can't ever keep it straight. Or at least I couldn't in like the eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> That's when it mattered. <laughs> right? That's when we had tests on it. I should have paid more attention. <laughs> We're making up for it now. It's fine. We are. We totally are. Um, so by the summer of 1920, those women were kicking ass and 35 states had ratified it and only a few more states were remaining, uh, some of which being Connecticut, Vermont, North Carolina, Florida, and Tennessee. Um, they were all called to hold a special voting and every single one of them were like, nah. No, thanks. Bastards. Yeah. Fuck you, women. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, President Woodrow Wilson himself wired the Tennessee governor and personally convinced him that Tennessee needed to get this passed. Because Wilson thought that if he got it passed while a Democrat was in office, that it would look good on the Democrats. Mm -hmm. So, Governor Roberts agreed. Now, Wilson has made this really big turn only because after the war efforts, he really realized that, like, oh, yeah, I do kind of look like a hypocrite. That this, you know, this isn't a democracy. And 
the doc- documentary states that he probably never personally thought that women should have the right to vote, but he thought it would be good for the campaign and all that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Regardless of his reasoning, cool. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Alice Paul's group continued to pick it, but once they realized that Woodrow Wilson was on their side, they actually moved across the street so it wouldn't annoy the president anymore, but they could still get their message across. So they were well, respectful after that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Tennessee vote was scheduled for August of 1920. And supporters from both sides just swamped into Nashville. And I think it was the the Hermitage Hotel that they were at. Probably. I'm like 99% sure it's the Hermitage. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Nashville. It's probably, yep. I mean, it's probably it's the Hermitage. Hermitage. I had a, I had a, uh, a little thing open, but yes, it's the Hermitage. And so there was like a Jack Daniels room and this is when prohibition was going on. So, <laughs> so, so they would just get, um, so all the, uh, suffragettes they got there early they were campaigning early and in in their eyes they've got this shit in the bag because they've talked to pretty much every um elected official that they should talk to well then Mm -hmm. the antis show up and open the jack daniels room and get all the candidates real liquored up and swing them back to anti. So now Uh, we're back at this. Listen, liquor will buy you a lot of things. And the intense lobbying effort is what became known as the War of the Roses because the supporters would wear yellow roses and the antis would wear red roses. mm. Remember that. So yellow is pro, red is anti. And yellow is my favorite, one of my favorite flowers, yellow roses. So there we go. Yellow is your favorite color. <laughs> it is. So on August 9th, <laughs> I did my little happy jiggle that Nick makes fun of me about all the time. I do that when I eat food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're just shaking back and forth at each other. <laughs> I'm so glad we're both weird. All right. So on August 9th, it was a crazy day. And again, the vote got pushed to August 18th. And if y'all are listening to this, the day that it is scheduled to come out is August 17th, the day before the anniversary of this vote. I want it to be known. I did not pick this topic because of this. (laughs) I just had a little moment and was like, mm, today's a good day for this one. And here we are. So yay, synchronicities. Isn't that fun? There we go. It's You're on fun. another level. I am. On a space uh, level. <laughs> so they finally moved to vote. And this is where it gets fun. So after hours of debating, either way, House Speaker Seth Walker, a proclaimed 
anti boldly stated, quote, the hour has come, the battle has been fought and won, and I move that the motion to concur in the Senate action goes where it belongs to the table, end quote. So, I mean, fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. Because if, if y'all don't know, when you're voting to table it, you're just, we're just going to vote to not vote on it. We're going to push yeah. it to a later date, and we're going to do that until we die. And until, until perpetuity. Yeah. So that's how literally nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. Because there's like, oh, we'll just vote on it later. It's fine. <sighs> it's not fine. Make up your mind. So when they voted whether or not to table the amendment um, until the next session, it was at a stalemate, 48 to 48. Wow. So that was round one. He asked for a recount. Again, 48 to 48. <laughs> and then the speaker was like, fuck it, we're going to actually vote on this. And in his head, we're going to vote on it to kill it. Get it out of my way. Yeah. Most people knew exactly where they stood. They were like, that's fine. Let's go ahead and do it. Except for one man. And that man was Harry T. Byrne. So who exactly is Harry T. Byrne, and why was he very important? Um, So he was born November 12th of 1895 in Nyota, Tennessee, and Nyota was then called Mouse Creek. How adorable. Oh, okay. Yeah, Mouse Creek. That's like Mouse Creek Nursery in Rossville. Okay. So he was the eldest of four children of James Lafayette Byrne and Feb Insminger Burn. Feb. And Feb. F E B B. Isn't that the cutest thing? Feb. So I love that. I do too. So James, his father, had passed away in 1916. I do not know what from, but he did pass away. So Feb is she's a widow. Mm-hmm. And when alive, his father was the station master at the Nyota Depot. Mm-hmm. And his mother was a teacher after graduating from the U.S. Grant Memorial University. Do you know what university that is now? Is it, um, why can't I think of it? Tennessee Wesleyan? Yeah. Yeah, Tennessee Wesleyan. That's where my mama went. Um, and then she later ran the family farm. So, like I said, she was widowed and running the farm alone with other children because Harry was only 22 when he was elected into the state legislature in 1918. So he had been doing this for a couple of years, but this was his first term mm-hmm. and he was 24 when he was voting on this. When I was 24, I'd have been like, yeah, that's a reasonable age. Me now thinking of a 24 year old, I'm like, that is a child. <laughs> four things yeah i don't know why six years makes such a difference but it does um (laughs) but anyway harry graduated from nyota high school in 1911 and he worked for the southern railway from 1913 to 1923 fast forward we're back on the day originally he was in favor of women's suffrage personally Mm -hmm. but as a 
good elected official should do, he was really listening to his constituents. He was listening mm-hmm. to the people in his county and he was kind of getting misleading telegrams and like the county was split and it was one of those areas that was like 50-50-ish and he kind of didn't know where to go. Yeah. You know, he was kind of getting like definitely no, but then he was also getting some yeses. Mm-hmm. But he received a letter while he was in Nashville and I'm going to read you part of it. There is a link in the show note of, I believe it's Feb's granddaughter or great-granddaughter reading the entire letter. And there's a lot of fluff in it, but I think it's really cool to listen to the whole letter because it's literally like, it's been really rainy lately. Vote for women's suffrage! (laughs) (laughs) The mailman bought so-and-so's house and like you're gonna have to listen to it. it's only a couple minutes long but it's like a six page letter small paper but anyway so here it is dear son hurrah and vote for suffrage and don't keep them in doubt i noticed chandler's speech it was very bitter i've been watching to see how you stood but have not seen anything yet don't forget to be a good boy and help Miss Thomas Cat with her rats. Mm-hmm. Is she the one that put rat in ratification? Ha! No more from Mama this time. With lots of love, Mama. Oh. Also, I thought it was funny that um, she mentioned Miss Cat because I found the letter before mm-hmm. I figured out who the hell Miss Cat was, and I was like, "Why? Why? Who is Miss Cat?" <laughs> And who are her rats? Who are her rats? (laughs) But that's, I thought it was really cute that she was just like, be a good boy. (laughs) I know. I love that. Be a good boy. Remember Miss Cat. And she was in that situation, like the, um, like the ad that we looked at earlier where she was a widowed farmer and had no rights. Her farm hands could vote, but she couldn't. Mm -hmm. So Byrne arrived. And he unfortunately adorned that red rose of the antis. He voted the first two times to table the amendment. He was afraid that if he voted to get it through, that he wouldn't win the next election. Because the next election was literally within a couple months. And he was like, well, let's just push it off. And then I'll vote on it next time. Right? Mm -hmm. Let me just get one more go under me at least. And when it came back around to his time, he that letter was just burning a hole in his pocket. It was just really sitting on him. And he literally surprised everyone. And he said, I. And some of them thought that he meant to say nay, but because he was so young and new, he got confused. And he was like, no, 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 I I meant that. (laughs) I meant that. Um, but he said it so low, everyone was like, did he just say what I think he said? <laughs> he was like, I, I, <laughs> um, but it brought the final vote to 49 to 47. Wow. There is one discrepancy. And in the documentary, it said that Burns voted. And the vote was a stalemate. And then a guy named Turner 
who hadn't voted at all in the first couple ones wanted to be recorded after that. And it was only then that it switched over. But that was literally, strangely, the only source that I found that said that. It didn't even mention the two rounds or anything like that. So I don't know. I think I saw an, a, a, another source that said something about Turner, but it was Burns switching his opinion that really got it switched over. Mm-hmm. And like in our scene before, the room erupted and apparently Burn had to escape through the window of a clerk's room. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh you just like, woo! Gone. But we did it. Woo! And it took woo, 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 72 years after the fight began. Oh, man. A little over 72 years. And it took a couple weeks to go through, but on August 26th, it was officially ratified. Yay! And Feb Byrne um, was finally able to vote at the age of 47. Go back to the pictures. Oh. Go back to oh. the pictures. And okay, go all the way well, not all the way. Next. Okay. You see her voting registration card. And you notice oh. that they didn't have time to reprint everything. So they all say his registration number is da 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 da. Oh. He is entitled because they didn't her, have time to reprint everything. Her registration number is one. Yeah. One. Oh. Oh. Nyota, Tennessee. Yeah. Oh, 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 this is going to make me cry. Like, legit. Oh. Like, could you, how much pride would you have for your, for your baby if, oh my God, I'd be like, my son did that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Oh. Um, so here's a quote from Carrie Chapman Cat, and I thought that it was a beautiful quote, so. The vote is the emblem of your equality, women of America, the guarantee of your liberty. That vote of yours has cost millions of dollars and the lives of thousands of women. Money to carry on this work has been given usually as a sacrifice, and thousands of women have gone without things they wanted and could have had in order that they might help Get the vote for you. Women have suffered agony of soul, which you have, which you can never comprehend, that you and your daughters might inherit political freedom. That vote has been costly. Prize it. Oh, I've got, I'm kind of goosebumps again. Me too. And she's right. 72 Mm -hmm. years of fighting. For our to daughters be, and granddaughters to to have the freedom. And to have the ability to choose what happens yeah. to them and their country. Yeah. And I think looking at a story like Harry Byrne is like literally every vote counts. Yeah. Every single one. That was one vote. He could have killed it right there. And we still yeah. might be fighting. But he decided to listen to his mama. <laughs> oh. Oh. I know. <laughs> My so, heart's going to explode. I know. So, after the vote, uh, the quote at the beginning of the document or the documentary 
I love this so much. Um, but the woman said that when my mom talked about the suffrage movement and stuff like that, she said, quote, we weren't given the vote. We weren't given anything. We took it. Oh. Yes! <laughs> I know! Goosebumpies everywhere! I know! <laughs> um, so, the antis are pissed. Yeah. And the newspapers... Don't you know society is going to collapse now? Yeah, because women have opinions, and now they have rights. God damn it! <laughs> uh, the the worst of those cartoons were the ones where, like, the men are, like, changing diapers and cooking dinner. And I know it's a totally different, just, like, mindset from, like, a hundred years ago, but they that it's always so depicted as such a bad thing, and I'm just like... Oh, my God! God, I have to parent my children. Well, that's oh. your kid. <laughs> that's your kid. The agony. One oh of them. One of them was like the woman was walking out the front door, and she's like, "Watch the child. I have to go vote today." And in my head, I'm like, "That only takes a couple hours. Like, that's a reasonable request." Yeah. But I mean, it might as well be death, right? I know, right? How dare he? He might get pee on his suit. You have to spend time with the human being you created? <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> they probably all hold them straight out like this. Like, what do I do with this? <laughs> How do I feed it? And the kid's like, I'm 10 years old. I can feed myself. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I don't even know your name, dude. So... <laughs> Okay. Oh. So, anyway, he was he he was accused of taking bribes up to like $10,000 bribes. That's wow. a shit ton of money back then. Oh yeah. Um, and even accused of taking bribes from Governor Roberts' personal secretary herself. Um Ooh. but neither of those bribe stories stuck. Yeah. And Byrne responded to the attacks on his integrity with a statement in the House Journal. This is wonderful. Quote, I desire to resent in the name of honesty and justice the veiled intimidation and accusation regarding my vote on the suffrage amendment as indicated in certain statements. And it is my sincere belief that those responsible for their existence know that there is not a scintilla of truth in them. I want to state that I changed my vote in favor for ratification, first, because I believe in full suffrage as a right. Second, I believe we have a moral and legal right to ratify. Third, I knew that a mother's advice is always safest for a boy to follow, and my mother wanted me to vote for ratification. Fourth, I appreciate the fact that an opportunity such as seldom comes to a mortal man to free 17 million women from political slavery was mine. Fifth, I desired that my party in both state and nation might say that it was a Republican from the East Mountains of Tennessee, the purest Anglo-Saxon section of the world. 
who made national women's suffrage possible at this night, not for personal glory, but for the glory of his party. I know. That was a lot. He is also the fact that he said a mother's advice is always safest for a boy to follow. That's when I was like, sweetie pie. I know. (laughs) I know. I want to hug him. Um, so things got so bad for him in Nashville that he ended up having to move hotels without telling anybody. And people thought that like he'd been kidnapped or he had deserted. And then his name showed up on a ledger at another hotel and they were like, Oh, thank God. He just had to get away from the mean ass people. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, there was an election coming up. People began to pour into McMinn County. Um, during Burns' fall election later that year and, like, talk slander about him because they're still mad. He had to have a bodyguard with him when he went home. Wow. So he wouldn't be attacked in his own hometown. And they even accosted his mother at her farm while Harry <gasps> no! was away. Leave Feb alone. I know. And tried to get her to disavow her letter, but she wouldn't. She was like, fuck y'all. I said what I said. <laughs> She was voter number one. And he was able to get through it. And he was elected again in the fall. Fuck yes. Yes. And a quote from him years later. See, this man is just, God love him. Quote, I had always believed that women had an inherent right to vote. It was a logical attitude from my standpoint. My mother was a college woman, a student of national and international affairs, who took an interest in all public issues. She could not vote. Yet the tenant farmers on our farm, some of whom were illiterate, could vote. On that roll call, confronted with the fact that I was going on record for time and eternity on the merits of the question, I had to vote for ratification. What a well-spoken man. I know. So he held offices for much of his life, um, he was in the State House of Representative from 1918 to 1922, State Senate from 1948 to 1952, State Planning Commission 1952 to 1970, wow. and Delegate for Roan County to the Tennessee Constitutional Conventions of 1953, 1959, 1965, and 1971. He right. was married to Mildred Rebecca Tarwater from 1933 to 1935. Then he married Ellen Folsom Cottrell in 1937, whom he had one child with, Harry T. Byrne Jr. And I didn't know this, but in 2018, a statue of Feb and Harry in downtown Knoxville was erected to commemorate them. Oh, and if I was look- actually looking at the statue. Yeah, and that's them. That's in Knoxville. Oh, he's, I love the statue. So it's showing Harry sitting down and his mom is standing behind him with her hand on his shoulder. And it's just like the epitome of good old boy yeah. listens to his mama. And I love it. He's holding the letter in his hand. What is she holding? It kind of looks like a bouquet of flowers. Yeah. Like yeah. a little, like little tiny bouquet. So that is a, I'm going to call it brief because I know it was kind of in depth, but that was a brief summary of women's suffrage. And, and Harry. I mean, you, cov- you covered 70, was it 72 years? Yes. 
in an hour and a half, which okay. I think is I think good. it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So uh, thank you. How do I you learned so that? much. I, I feel I felt a lot of emotions during that. Oh, God, it was such a roller coaster. You should have seen me watching the documentaries because it's even more of a roller coaster. Again, the documentary is called The Vote. And it's put on by PBS. I literally just spoke it into my Fire Stick TV and it just popped up. So, all right. It was faux free and it was wonderful. Sources are, you know, like always in the note. And I just, I don't know. Like, I can't believe that, again, this part of Tennessee is just rife with history. And I don't know yeah. if it's because we're from here, so we recognize those more. Or, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it, there's something special about, you know, I mean, big things happen in big cities because right. you have more people, things naturally occur there. But when you're from a small town and big things happen from that small town, it just feels more special. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Because what are the chances? That the entire United States, like, in the entire United States, women's right to vote did hang on one man from it. I mean, Nyota, it is still a tiny town. Yeah. Like, I think we we made a joke about it, maybe in the Battle of Athens episode, that 80 people still live there. Like, oh. it is a tiny, tiny town. I'm curious. Nyota, Tennessee, population in 2021 was 781. Like we said, it is a tiny, tiny town. Tiny town. It is and mostly farms. Like, and I I really wanted to go through everything that happened up until that point because everything had to have aligned so perfectly for that to even happen. Yeah. It's just wild. It's, it's really, it's, I mean, words don't, really don't even describe it and I remember we briefly touched upon it in one of my history classes in yeah. school but never to this detail it was just no. like oh by the way the the deciding vote for women's suffrage was a guy in Iota and, these and I was like people, wow these are the people we need to tell the stories of it's yeah. important to know that and to know why these things happen right it was a young man who was listening to his mom because he loved her. Because he loved and her and he respected his, her opinion. And recognized she is an intelligent woman that deserves to have a say in her community. Exactly. Makes my heart happy. Makes my mama's heart happy. <laughs> All right. Well, that was, that was wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. You're very welcome. There was one at the beginning of the documentary one quote i was so angry it was like um it was like the beginning scene and these women are running around i think they were having like a protest or something in the in the uk and it was like in the 70s and mm -hmm. it was like a or maybe it was like a just a celebration of like a 50 year for women's right to vote over there and the news anchor and i'm not going to get this quote 100 percent right because i'm just it's off the top of my head but he was like so when you come home this afternoon and dinner's not done or your secretary won't do the filing, just remember, it's because you gave them the right to vote. Oh, my God. I was like, honey, I had Nick wasn't in the room. I re 
I played it back and I was like, listen to this shit! <laughs> and he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I was so mad from the oh, beginning. Lord. Who Who is that guy? <laughs> I know. An asshole is who he is. I did want to ask, since we're talking about Nyota, Tennessee, yeah. did you want a, to read a joke? <gasps> Two. Oh, where's my book? Oh, this one's called. This, these are mountain humor. <laughs> okay. This one just says Maryville College, so I'm going for it. I don't know what this says. Oh, I guess I should say we're reading another one of Prof Powers' favorite jokes. If you want to know more about Prof Powers, go back to the first or the second Battle of Athens episode and learn more about him. But just know he was a lovely man, and I'm reading his jokes. So. A family in the cove sent their daughter to Maryville College. The family was eating breakfast soon after the daughter returned from her first year. The daughter bowed her head and said, I have a confession to make. I ain't a virgin anymore. Dad looks at mother and says, Ma, we wasted our money. A year at college and she still says ain't. that one blonde i don't know what oh, was. oh i had no idea where that was going oh my god <laughs> i ain't a virgin anymore we wasted our money i don't think he ever told that to, that one to us when at a school camp i wish he had oh my god Woo. oh man oh my god <laughs> this is the best ten dollars i've ever spent in my life Oh my gosh, it's it's killing me. Oh, please edit out all my coughing. It's oh, so I will. Of course. <laughs> Thank you. Oh okay, gosh. so if you want to hear uh, some more of our uh, topics sprinkled in with our nonsense, then um, <laughs> you can find us on Illiquid. <laughs> Sorry, Morgan's just like hacking up a lot. <laughs> I shouldn't I be laughing. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Illiquip um, History Podcast is our Facebook uh, group. And then you can find us on Instagram at Illiquip History. And you can email us um, at History at gmail.com. And definitely interact with all of our social medias. We would love to hear from you. So yes, please. let us know what you think. And we will uh, see you next week. And remember, kids, don't do drugs. Build boats. <laughs> don't wing boats, for sure. Don't wing boats and become pirates. <laughs> become pirates. <laughs> I, think I've, uh, I think I've saved my leg this time, but I don't think I can take another injury without becoming a full-blown pirate. So Yeah, ne- next time. I'll, I'll be there. I'll... Just hack it off. Let's let's just hack it off. Let's just do it. (laughs) Oh, God. We're going to go before Morgan coughs herself to death. Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Okay, bye. Okay, bye.